Deep into the earth I go. Deep into the earth I know. Deep into the earth I go. Deep into the earth I know. Hold my hand, sister. Hold my hand. Hold my hand, sister. Hold my hand. Deep into the earth I go. Deep into the earth I know. Deep into the earth I go. Deep into the earth I know. Hold my hand, sister. Hold my hand. Hold my hand, sister. Hold my hand. Hello and welcome to the Womb Centered Healing Podcast. I'm Sama Morning Star, and I have Nandi with me here today. Nandi is a midwife in New Mexico. Is that right? Yes. And um, I would love for you to introduce yourself and share a little bit more about your work and what womb-centered healing means to you. Yes, thank you. Thank you for inviting me, having me here to speak. Um, my pleasure. Ah, my journey. Well, I was um, born and raised in a family where my mom was a huge advocate for home birth and lactation. Mm. and birthing naturally mm. and she was an assistant she never made it and wanted to really wear the full hat of midwifery but she was an assistant to a midwife in Illinois and they were doing underground births in the 70s and 80s mm. um, what does that mean underground birth well in Illinois uh, midwifery isn't recognized as a profession unless you're a nurse midwife um, so they were not seen, they did not carry a, a license to practice medicine, mm. saying that with quotes, um, in the state of Illinois. So there was people who wanted to have home births and they wanted midwives there and there wasn't, a, there still isn't a legal way to do that unless you're a nurse midwife or an, or an OB. There's a couple there was a couple OB practices in the Chicago land area that was doing home births into the nineties. So I think the early two thousands still too, but I'm not sure if they're still around, but anyway, um, my mom and her were going to birth and would sometimes have to ask for help. And one time they came in and didn't get heartbeat and, or didn't like the heartbeat and got to the hospital and there was no heartbeat. Um, and that midwife got arrested and charged with the felony. And wow. that kind of, yeah, that ended their, their underground career. And my mom started just being a Lamaze teacher and uh, teaching people how to birth naturally. 
um, and was banned from hospitals because she would teach people and advocate for people. Um, so when I came to my first pregnancy, I was 21, 96, I was in Illinois still, and I can't find a home birth midwife. When you were pregnant, personally, yeah. with your first baby, okay. My first baby, so I kind of sped up from my childhood, grew up with my sister <laughs> in my Very basement. much of an activist mother. Yes. Right, who's getting you know kicked out of hospitals because how of how she's teaching her yes. birth preparation classes they're like getting wind of the doctors are getting wind of what you know because yeah. then the patients are going to the doctor saying well you know so and so in the birth class said this and that and the doctor's yeah. like ah, we got to get rid of her right exactly and yeah. then of course you heard her on the phone even if she wasn't talking to you directly she was talking to her girlfriends and you're listening into the dialogue and you're asking questions and and she's having girlfriends over maybe and they're all sitting around talking about all this and wow i heard the story on my basement it, the basement was like furnished and full and but there was uh my whole life i saw the the, the weeks of gestation of how grew. And that, I mean, I, my mom had a crocheted cervix. Um, <laughs> Did she make it herself? Yeah, it was knitted, let's see, she's a knitted. Knitter. She knit a demonstration uh, cervix. And yeah, I mean, this was in my house. It was just things I played Did with. Wow, did she demonstrate with a, like a ball or a, a doll of the head? Of how the baby's born and yeah. And she would show with a knitted cervix, it could stretch. You had a, a knitted uterus cervix, yes. Wow. Awesome. <laughs> Is your mom still around? Yes, 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 yes. She's 70. Um, she'll be so mad, 74. <laughs> she'll be 74 this year. So in I wonder if she'll talk to me because I'm also doing a thing around stitching, sacred ah. stitching. Ah. And, sti and so I'm talking to people about stitching their own menstrual pads and other womb health um, fabric, sacred objects that are specifically for womb health. And that definitely qualifies knitting yeah. a, a demonstration cervix womb for childbirth preparation classes that's awesome i wonder i should ask her i wonder you know if she has any of that stuff left and she had like the atlas childbirth um book so i just saw this stuff on my life and heard about it i was not born at home but my birth story is you know my mom was like oh we're gonna do this one natural i was her second child and we'll just set it up we have a good doctor on our side he gets there and she's in labor but they want to do pit and she pitocin. that's pitocin right for those yeah. who don't know the the midwifery lingo <laughs> they augmented her labor she was already oh. in labor fed it up and i was born pretty fast after that um it wasn't needed so well thank goodness it didn't start a cascade of interventions no, it didn't that was 74 and then three years later she had my sister almost to the day um and at home mm -hmm. and that's a memory i have in my head so my sister's born in 77 years later 
96, I'm in my mother's house, I'm laboring. The plan is I'm gonna go to the hospital. I have detailed plans of what they can and cannot do. My plan is to get there to push. Um, well, I don't really have a pushing stage and my daughter started to come and I remember sitting on the toilet thinking I had, you know, a bowel movement coming and it was her head. And I, my mom called the paramedics and my partner was right next to me and my whole family was there and eight men showed up in my room basically to tell me to push. They didn't catch her. <laughs> she flew out onto my bed and um, very pink and very happy and smacking her lips, giving me kisses. And she was put on, put on me with an oxygen mask. She's very pink. And like I said, smacking her lips. She didn't need oxygen, but that was the procedure. And I said, I want to be a midwife. I was a chef um, inspired at the time, had been to culinary school. And I said, this is not fair. Like, people are missing out on something here. And the only reason I don't have a midwife here is because it's not really legal in Illinois and I can't find a midwife at the time to do this birth. And this isn't okay. And I was also living a lifestyle that is very natural. Um, I was living the lifestyle of a Rasta woman and that community mostly was going to the hospital and that didn't make sense for our lifestyle to be doing that. So my calling became, I need to be a midwife for my community. And that's where the journey began. Um, wow. And so, so did you first um, study midwifery in practice in Illinois or how did you do that? Did you try to, did you, were you an underground midwife for a period of time? A little bit, yes. I started classes. There was an underground black midwife and my friend got pregnant shortly after and she started, she taught us both classes. They both ended up in Jamaica at the same time. Um, this is now the year 2000. I've been taking classes, learning things. And she goes down there because that's where her partner is. Um, to have her first baby. And I traveled down there a few times during her pregnancy and gave her prenatal care. She's also going to a birth center and getting prenatal care. That was um, Sherry Daniels' birth center in Jamaica for a while in Kingston. And um, I came for the birth. I spent a good seven weeks there with her um, and caught her baby in Kingston, Jamaica at that wow. birth center. Yeah. And so what's the status of midwifery in Jamaica? Oh, it's legal there. Um, I think Sherry's practice became very busy and big and was taking a lot of uh, clients away from the OBs and they got her out of there. They That's got her out of there? What do you mean? They shut down they, her birth center? They, they, pretty, I, they pretty much got her out of there. I know the whole story because this is being taped, but <laughs> she is not in Jamaica anymore. Um, wow. And where my best friend gave birth. She was she an American and she had gone and opened a birth center there? Yes, she was uh -huh. American, I believe. And she had a lot of Canadian midwives working there, helping her out. Cause she wasn't even there when my friend gave birth. It was a Canadian midwife, I think her name was Kim. And she was wonderful and I learned a lot. My friend was in labor for three days, asynclitic baby, 
Um, what does that mean? The baby was coming in, uh, we call cockeyed or jacked up and there wasn't coming in anterior, was coming in right transversed with the head crooked. Okay, so, so let's translate this language for listeners who haven't studied all of this. I know it's hard to do, but I'm going to give it my best shot because I know, you know, I'm reviewing my, mid, my uh, doula training here. Mm-hmm. So anterior means that the baby's face is facing the sacrum, is facing the back of the woman's body, right? Right. And that's the ideal and- position. Yes. Because the baby's head can be extended this way and with the shape of the woman's pelvis having the face uh, facing the, instead of the big hard part of the head, puts less pressure on the sacrum and the front of the pelvis can open up more to allow the big part of the head to come out. Is that right? Right. And he was actually, wait a minute, he was actually anterior, he was not anterior, he was posterior asynclitic so even harder so that means his his right side of his back was facing was bone at back on back so his, his face was facing up towards the front of the mother's yeah. body his back his his spine was going against her spine right. which is hard on mom yes and hard on baby because he doesn't have that soft place to go with the spine. Whereas when they're facing the other way, they have the mom's belly is nice and soft for that spine to bend and move and do what it needs to do. And the back of the head has more space to move through. So he's facing up, it's also called sunny side up, right? Up to the right. (laughs) And a little to the right, and maybe with a kinked neck like this. And he stayed like that for a long time. And coming in on the right side, it's not as preferable as coming in on the left. It's Why is that? I actually, I don't know the full answer to that. It is easier to come into the world coming in on the left than the right. Well, energetically, our left side is our feminine side. Hmm. So perhaps in a woman's body, the left side of the woman's body has more room. Yeah. There's less organs on that side. <laughs> okay, there really we go. Why? There is a reason why, I'm sure scientifically, but uh-huh. it's not coming to me right now. But he was coming into the world hard. <laughs> yeah. And it took a good three days to get him three days. And with me holding her cervix open, this is my first, like, um, actually, my first labor was my sister's, but this is my actual, like, labor i'm in it i'm not just being a doula i'm taking on some midwifery roles the first time i wore like sterile gloves and had to keep them sterile and as much as like as possible and holding my best friend's cervix open why they pushed on her fundus which is i will probably never see in a birth here in america um she probably would have gotten a c-section here in america but he got out um, they, push on so they, they pushed on her fundus, which is the other, another word, it's the word for the pregnant woman's belly. Right. Now, I, I thought it was the word for the belly after the baby was out, but it's also the belly while the baby is still in is called the fundus. Yeah, well, it's the top of the uterus. It's the ledge of the uterus. Okay. That's what we're measuring every from the pelvic bone 
to the top of the fundus. That's what we're measuring in centimeters. That usually correlates with the gestational date of the baby, right? So 35 centimeters a lot of times or 35 weeks. Uh -huh. So they were pushing on the top of the fundus to get him out. Um, he came out with a sore on his head. It was because it was rubbing for that yeah, long on the bones. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so there. <laughs> and now why wouldn't this happen in the US, the pushing on the fundus? I because it's dangerous. It, it what, can, what can happen? It can um cause a uterine rupture. Um it mm. it's not good to do. We it's putting a lot of pressure and it takes skills to do that. I in seven years of being a licensed midwife, I don't think I have the skill or want to do that. We can't get a baby out at home easy enough. We need to go in for help and let oh, okay. Go. And so you were working with other midwives that had yeah. more skill than you who yeah. were able to successfully they they'd been in these situations before, perhaps where there wasn't the the access to going right. into a hospital. And these are what women have done this kind of thing midwives midwives have done this kind of thing all over the world where there's not you know these hospitals yeah. to run to yeah having a c-section is expensive it's it's not the go-to run to in 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 jamaica it doesn't seem like they have a huge c-section rate and mm. they're doing them a ton of times like it would have to be a good reason and they felt like they they had the skills enough to get him out and they did wow they, he, his heart rate never dropped, even though he was sitting there crazy for a couple of days. Well, isn't there ways, and I, because I've learned a little bit of this, aren't there ways of massaging the baby in in the mom's belly in order to help the baby reposition? Yeah, what I know now and what I've learned from stuff like spinning babies, we probably would have done something to try and get him to move for sure. And yeah. This was my early on doula midwifery days. Right. What I know now and then is different. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, you've done something else. Right. I mean, as a body worker, sometimes if something's kinked, you don't just keep pushing it in that direction. You want to back it up, let it straighten out, and then it can go. I mean, that would be my instinct, would be to like, let's say, let's let his neck lengthen out again yeah. and get, you know? So, anyway, all right. So, Wow, so that was your initiation into midwifery, and you still were like, I'm all for it, I'm doing this. All for it, I was yeah. totally about it. And at that time, I was, I was living in Illinois, out, um, in Oak Park, which is the first western suburb of Chicagoland, of, of Chicago. And um, I was in a state where I didn't wanna go to nurse midwifery school at that time to learn midwifery. I didn't want to be what I thought was tainted by the medical system. I was very young and impressionable and I just had this way of living and I decided it was, I need to move somewhere to learn midwifery. So I, it was either Jamaica because I had made connections there and mm -hmm. um, my lifestyle I was living, it just all seemed like, hey, let's move to Jamaica. Let's make this work found like places to live, was looking for work for my partner. Um, and then we also had friends here in Albuquerque, New Mexico was saying, oh, New Mexico is like the best state to give birth in and midwives are abundant here. And so we looked at both places and we traveled 
and we decided it was easier to stay in the States and move to New Mexico. And that's, mm -hmm. I came here 19 years ago in June, June 1st, I arrived. Wow. Okay. So that same year to year 2000 was when you yeah. were uh, experiencing this, your friend's birth in Jamaica. And then you said, all right, that's it. Yeah. We're, we're going to New Mexico all around your passion for midwifery for midwifery yeah and it just felt like my calling and my liberty and yeah let's do it and my partner at the time he was fine with it and we had our first child and the three of us packed up and left illinois and came down here and the journey began the journey began and so you went to or you trained you shared with me earlier that you trained as an apprentice to yeah. another midwife and they have um training set up in new mexico but i think i think also in california that you can do that kind of an apprentice or um yeah apprenticeship type of learning scenario instead of going to an actual campus or a school or something like that right a little different in california is that you have to be an amic accredited education or you, they still, I think, have the California challenge if you don't go through that make accredited mm -hmm. right. education um, where you sit for this challenge test after you take the NARM exam, which is another national accredited um, exam that midwives take. That that's what I took. That's what the state of New Mexico uses right. for me to be a licensed midwife. So uh -huh. in New Mexico, I'm an LM and a CPM which is I'm a licensed midwife and a certified professional midwife. Okay. Uh, my apprenticeship, I did not go to a make accredited school. I could have. I do not have a degree in this. I don't need a degree to do this work, um, even though probably that will change in the future. I am looking to get a degree as a CPM along with um, looking and doing nurse prerequisites right now, nursing uh -huh. school. Okay. Yeah. So I just want to weave together the womb-centered healing and the midwifery model of care for people who aren't as familiar. We're, you know, I probably tend to get in a little bit of doula speak with you, even though I'm trying to keep it <laughs> um, for those who, who don't have that. But um, so for me, and I'd love to hear your perspective too, womb-centered healing um why am i interviewing midwives and doulas is because midwives and doulas um offer a standard of care to women who are birthing babies which is one of the big womb experiences for women in our lives and offer a standard of care that um, that diminishes the likelihood of birth type trauma or uh, additional wounding than what we might already carry in our wombs. And so that's why I'm always including doulas and midwives because, um, you know, there's a standard of care of um, empowering women to make their own choices and decisions about how they want to birth their babies as much as possible. 
to make their own plan to inform women about their choices and the options and all of the possibilities and educate women because a lot of birth trauma comes from women not knowing what their options are and just being sort of corralled down a, a procedural uh, you know convenience type of approach to birth that is often what's seen in hospitals with doctors that you know have a schedule and want to get that baby out by 5 p.m. on Friday so they can have a weekend you know and so there's a lot of interventions that are unnecessary as you outlined in um, what you described your experiences to be um, out of convenience out of procedure that aren't based on the evidence, evidence-based care that shows what actually does facilitate the most healthy birth process for women and babies. Um, and so uh, midwives and doulas are at the forefront of educating um, us, re-educating women and our families about that and empowering us to we do need to go to the hospital, not doing a home birth, to be able to communicate and interface with that system and assert our own rights to make our own sovereign choices about our birth process and about how our bodies are treated in that circumstance. And so I'd love to hear your, your um, if any stories or experiences are coming up about the healing quality of your work. Um, oftentimes women have a traumatic birth experience for their first birth and then say, you know what, I'm going to have a midwife for my next birth because I feel it'll be better. So you may have had experiences like that where your quality of care that you're able to offer as a midwife attending home births uh, is very healing then for your clients. Yeah. And so I'd love to hear about that. Yeah. When I think of one centered um what are you you're calling it womb woman womb centered <laughs> womb centered healing mm -hmm. healing i think of um exactly that centering the person who's carrying the womb in 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 practice in in healing as an individual um i do think of midwifery as a way to heal the womb um to make it the center of if you're coming into my office of your pregnancy um sometimes things are going on emotionally um that are affecting your womb and your healing and and your health if i should say um so i'm always I'm always focusing on, you know, the well-being, the whole well-being of the person walking into the door, through the door to get care for me and it and it's prescribed prescribed to that person. Not everybody needs the same thing. Um and I think that's what the midwifery model does so well is that I I mean when they say it's the art of midwifery. I really take that to the art of I'm painting a picture for this person in this amount of time of care. They're almost with me for a whole year. And in that year, how am I going to help them on their journey? 
Um, sometimes birth is traumatic even at home, but because they're being hopefully in my care, I feel like this is true, being respected, being heard, being informed all along the way that they have the power to make decisions for themselves. Um, I'm, I'm there to empower them to, to, I guess, spark that light of power. I'm not even empowering them. They're empowering themselves. Mm -hmm. And that I'm just there to, to guide protect, to hold space, to make sure everything is normal. That's what womb-centered healing is. That's what's coming to mind right now. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you shared about while you're with them for a year, you know, women usually, when they're pregnant, mm -hmm. very soon after, they're looking yeah. for their care providers very soon after they find out they're pregnant so then that's you know at least eight months you're with them while they're pregnant then during the birth and then several months afterwards to make sure everything is okay so and sometimes longer and and so that whole pregnancy process you're educating them you're helping them be in the best health that they can possibly be on all levels emotionally spiritually and that's beautiful. And so I I warned you before, um, I'm really passionate right now about ancestral healing and particularly um, the use of herbs in our healing process and the interface between the, um, the way that herbs help us physically and the way that herbs help us emotionally and spiritually and the memory of the way that herbs and aromas can access our cellular memory of not only things that have happened in our own past that that need that healing too but in our generational past and so i'm curious about your experiences working with clients who may have had who may have um healing from back in the generations that has been necessary in order to facilitate the, the best possible birth uh, outcomes. Mm -hmm. So uh, if you don't know me or if you haven't seen me before, I identify as a black woman, um, a black mother, a black midwife. Um, there isn't many of us. The history in this country um, has taken away a lot of my ancestral knowledge um colonization has made it really hard for me to know exactly what was going on with healing ancestral um, herbs and what was being done in the postpartum time what foods were being served um i'm still kind of learn. i'm definitely learning a lot about that still now and plan on taking an herbal class on uh, about herbs that were used by my ancestors so in a lot of ways i'm i i'm purposely saying this because i'm still learning mm -hmm. um some things that i have done even just recently and i've learned this through midwifery um 
you know, we tend to suture a lot after a baby comes through your, your canal and um, your perineum and sometimes that gets torn. And I worked with a midwife who was really against suturing. <laughs> she was, she was just, it was not her thing. And, um, and then I worked with, I, I did not just have one preceptor. I had like five. So I worked with a lot of different midwives who did a lot of different things to heal because the thought is it's trauma on trauma. Mm. This baby has come out, you might have tore, there might be some things that need to be sewed up, but do we really need to suture it? And not everyone, not every tear needs to be sutured. So um, some things that help heal it a lot of people don't know is like frankincense, just mm. little drops of frankincense, honey, um, seaweed. Recently I did seaweed and frankincense on somebody who birthed with a partner and I a year ago and was back in our care again and had a pretty bad tear the first birth. And the second one we made all these plans so she wouldn't tear. Um, we did tear again, pretty much the same place, but not fully like last time she had pretty much gone all the way to her, her rectum. Um, this time she didn't go all the way that far uh, to a third degree tear, but it was eh, borderline, almost second degree. So I did some different things and she was on board with it and it worked and um wow so when you use the seaweed are you actually using a piece of seaweed or are you using powdered seaweed mixed with the honey no you're no, just we just use the seaweed we we like laced it on top of each other where the wound was open and checked it in a few days and it was closed it was pretty so amazing. just a couple of days and it closes the wound yeah and so and are you is is this just on the outer surface of the vaginal opening or does it go all the way in a ways? In this case, it was, um, yes, we put it on the inside and right on the perineal, perineum where it tore. And so it was outside and a little bit inside. So and so on the outside, uh -huh. um, strips ladled in the inside where there was two tears on both the left and the right side. Uh-huh. And and so how does the seaweed then stay in and on the body? I mean, I'm I'm assuming yeah. that the woman is having is, you know, she's going to the bathroom, she has wastes to eliminate. Do you have special instructions for her to make sure that she doesn't remove the seaweed? It, it kind of sticks, I'm imagining it's sticking. To remove it, she, this is what we just tried, and um, her husband kept helping putting it back on. Oh, he um, he was all about, you know, helping. Oh yeah, nicely, and that we didn't suture this time because suturing was really hard on her. So she had to lay down a lot, and she had to keep her legs together. That was another instruction that I had for her that she wasn't to lift anything, do any squatting that she just keeps kept her legs together. And if she was okay with that, then. Then you yeah. could try it. Uh-huh. And the and wound closed. And did you continue the treatment after the wound had closed up? Did you keep it a little bit? 
with uh-huh. frankincense, sitz baths. That's another thing we did. A lot of sitz baths, Epsom salt baths. Um, this all brings the tissue back together and little drops of frankincense in the bathtub and um, one drop on the pad. And frankincense is very astringent. So that's why I'm saying one drop. It's pretty intense too. I know directly on the skin, especially that mucous membrane, there can be quite an intense sensation. Yeah. And the ba- that's why we did it in the bath. And um, on the pad too, you can um, dilute it with uh, a cotton ball, uh-huh. water and one drop. And I'm really saying one drop. You guys have had people do more than one drop. It is not fun. Mm-hmm. It's, it can burn. Um, yeah, but it just it just helps. It brings the tissues back together, and so in that case, that was using I think more ancestral healing. Um, the than, seaweed was a new one for me. I hadn't heard of that, but I can imagine that that would be more prevalent on an island like Jamaica, yeah, for example. Yeah, right, it, right. Is that where your ancestry is from in Jamaica? No, 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 no. My my ancestry comes from Africa. Okay. Um, but there's lots of coastline in Africa, so yes. <laughs> you may have had seaweed anywhere. Um, so you, I'm assuming that you would soak the seaweed first so that it was moist and yes. pliable to to put yeah. it on a woman. We just laid it on that, mm-hmm. and it was something I read in a book. I think written by Anne Fry in her suturing book. Ah, yeah, yeah. And oh I wow. Like, Start trying different things than always bringing out the needle. There is times it is beneficial to definitely suture and know how to do that skill and and also heal that naturally. Same kind of things would have happened in frankincense, honey, sitz baths. Yeah. Wow. And so I imagine that was very healing for her to mm-hmm. have such loving care and alternatives presented and offered and implemented so successfully to the trauma upon trauma of tearing and then having to be sutured, you know, poked yeah. with the needle and string pulling through. I mean, oh. yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Wow. So amazing. Yeah. So that's, that's one way. And, you know, I've also, and maybe you've seen this in books and I've never, I don't know if it's um, used as an alternative to suturing, but I imagine it would be very helpful in that situation as well. And for ongoing healing of tears and also just sort of the contusion, the compression or sores that might happen from say that baby's head that was in the same spot. Yeah, the baby's head had a sore. I imagine there was some sore spots inside the mom from that head in that one spot for a while. Uh, And that is um, comfrey. Comfrey, yes. It's very, mm-hmm. it's used, and, and, and so have you used, do you use an offer comfrey to your mom's? Do you know what I really haven't since I worked with that midwife that I'm talking about that doesn't, isn't a fan of suturing and doesn't really suture that much. Um, she used comfrey a lot and she grew it in her backyard when she lived here in New Mexico. And she would also go collect it off of people's lands because um, comfrey grows wild all over the place here. Nice. Um, so, but I haven't. You got. You're reminding me. I need to get. I need to get that in my bag again. So. All right. Well, because comfrey. I mean, <laughs> comfrey is really good for 
weaving our tissues back together yeah. when they've been wounded and in an organized way so it's not just getting back together but are they getting back together in a disorganized knotted up scar tissue kind of way or are they getting back together in a smooth aligned easy to flow way it's the same thing with the seaweed i noticed and the honey and the frankincense and the sitz baths that this client did everything came back very smoothly together there was no bumps it didn't even look like she tore we were amazed like like wow it doesn't even and had Oh. had you noticed that you could tell that she had torn before yeah. from yeah. the sutures like you could yeah. notice there was scar tissue yeah. wow back like a puzzle like it, yeah. the pieces it, it it hadn't lined up properly because it's the doctor in there deciding where it's going to line up yeah well that in case was my partner she's a midwife and she she did the suturing i wasn't at her first birth uh-huh and it at her second i don't have a partner anymore but we used to work together and she's she's a seamstress she's really good at suturing that's her like her thing she can do it really well but even even the highest skilled suturing seamstress yes. can't know exactly what part of the tissue is supposed to line up with the other part it's the body's own wisdom that you're then evoking with that seaweed and inviting to find its own way back together beautiful that is so gorgeous oh my gosh i'm having ways to heal and um yes and and being in your own practice and if your clients are on board to try it and trust you it, it can happen there's and beautiful. yeah so. beautiful well thank you so much for sharing all of this wonderful womb-centered healing wisdom from your rich midwifery practice um i'd love for you to share if you have a way that folks can get in touch with you if they're interested in talking with you more about your work mm -hmm. um people can reach me at nandi midwife at yahoo.com they can reach me on facebook um nandi andrea m hill uh, i think it says wadada midwifery on there too or you can call me at 505-974-8431. Wow, okay, wonderful. There you have it, folks. Lovely Nandi midwife in New Mexico. Uh, Albuquerque, right? Yes, I'm in the center of the state. Albuquerque. Okay, and how far do you travel for your midwifery services? Uh, two hours. I'll go to Gallup, New Mexico, which is two hours uh, west. Um, but two hours is, is my limit. Okay. Good to know. And, um, thank you so much once again for joining us here and, uh, thank you listeners for joining us and, and reveling in this womb centered healing midwifery discussion. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I have. And if you want to learn more about the Womb Centered Healing Temple, you can go to wombcenteredhealing.com, sign up for the newsletter. Uh, you might be interested, if you are interested in our little herbal discussion at the end here, um, and you've been listening to the latest podcast, you'll know that I'm preparing to share a 
ancestral healing with herbs course coming up soon. So if you, that intrigued you about this conversation, I recommend getting on that uh, newsletter mailing list to learn more. Again, that's at wombcenteredhealing.com. All right. Thank you so much for joining us. And that's all for now. Until next time.